Welcome to the Cube Master Show, everyone. I'm your host, Vincent Daly. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Ryan Panagos. He's the VP and Executive Editor for Marvel's Digital Media Group. For nearly 10 years, Ryan has helped shepherd Marvel across social media and the digital landscape. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the Cube Monster Show. How are you doing today? Doing well. How's it going? Awesome. Awesome. Can't complain. So let's jump right into it. I want to know a little bit about you. What's your origin story? I mean, how did you get in the world of comics? Um, so I think from career-wise, I mean, I was always a comic book fan growing up. Right. I mean, as far back as I can remember. Who was uh, your favorite superhero as a kid, by the way? Uh, probably Wolverine and Spider-Man. Excellent choices. I, I think just just thinking back of like what I was reading, um, Spidey for sure because he's friggin' Spider-Man and he's right. the best. And um, Wolverine, you know, the '90s X-Men cartoon was a was obviously a big thing, and Wolverine was just so cool and so badass. <laughs> um, but you know, growing up reading comics, and then. I went to SUNY Purchase, which is a state school in New York, and I got a journalism degree. And I had always been a fan of Wizard Magazine and Toy Fair Magazine, um, like at some at points even more so than comics. Um, and so I, I was like, well, journalism, I could do that. Uh, I, let me see about Wizard. And actually, SUNY Purchase was like 20 minutes away from where Wizard was, just across a bridge. And I applied for an assistant editor position at Toy Fair Magazine right at the end of my college career in, um, I don't know, when did I graduate? 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. And uh, I applied for it and did not get it. <laughs> but huh. I got a call back from, from this guy, Justin Acklin, who uh, to this day is one of my dearest friends. Justin called me. He said, hey. Uh, so I see you applied for the assistant editor position at Wizard. Well, I got the job, but I need a writer. Would you like to do some freelance for me? And I was like so fresh out of college and so clueless. And, you know, you got to remember this is now 2002. Yeah, so this is 2002, I think. Um, no, not – sorry. It's 2001 when this conversation is happening. So a long time ago. Right. And – uh, I was like, sure, I'll do some writing. So I got assigned stuff I had no clue about, like the market for toys, you know, like how much is this He-Man action figure going for and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And then like military toys, like you can look and my byline is in there writing about really weird military, do essentially dolls right. from, <laughs> from uh, I think they were made in Hong Kong and like so, really nice stuff. Yeah, but, so this is beyond the scope of like a G.I. Joe. This is really hardcore military yeah, items. Like, yeah, for sure. And, and like they even get to like some obscure license stuff, but they were uh -huh. like, they were weird and like stuff I, I had no real clue about beforehand, but just dove right in and did a lot of work for Toy Fair and like moved home and, and just worked at Blockbuster video, rest in peace for a year. <laughs> and um, eventually at the, you know, somewhere in there, I got a call from them saying, hey, we're going to have an open position in our research department covering all the magazines, Wizard, Toy Fair, Anime, Inquest. Would you like to come in and interview? And I said, sure, that, that's great. So I went over, I interviewed, and it was the worst. I was 
like flop sweat. I was stammering. I was not prepared. I even wore a Venom tie. So like I had I had this great Eric Larson Venom right. tie. I was just going to ask if you wore a suit and tie. Yeah, yeah. So ill-fitting suit and a Venom right. tie. <laughs> and uh, I'm like sitting in this conference room talking to the, the folks who were interviewing me. And they were like, oh, so you really like Venom, huh? And it was basically like, I guess so. I have this tie, you know, like a really dumb 20, 22-year-old, whatever I was. And uh, the best part was leave. I leave the interview, finish up. Obviously, it was terrible. Um, I go to my car. I had forgotten to turn the lights off in my car, and the battery died. So nice. I had to have – the one of the people who interviewed me jumpstart my car for me. So I was like, great. <laughs> so you were making friends already? Oh, 100%. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, but to their credit, they, um, you know, I still was doing writing for them. And they called me back a couple months later, said, hey, I know you, know you didn't get the other job. Do you want to come back for another interview for a different position? And this was for Price Guide Assistant for Wizard Magazine. And I said yes. And I killed it, awesome. crushed the interview. Uh, you know, a little experience, got that stage fright out of the way and um, started with Wizard, you know, in uh, I, like late summer, maybe of 2003 and um, yeah, late summer 2003. And then boom, boom, boom. I like got uh, promoted within a month uh, or two months, something like that. And then started taking on more work, started doing more stuff and just eventually like built a great relationship with Marvel and and there I went. Excellent. That's that's quite the journey you took, all from getting your car jumped <laughs> to where you are today. <laughs> yeah. So you know, unfortunate instances, uh, circumstances can can lead to much better things. Yeah, exactly. But you know that that one instance that was probably the icebreaker, which made you a real human being, which they would remember, and they did, obviously. And yeah, definitely. So let's let's talk a little bit about comic books. Um, two two recently. Uh, release titles in particular. Captain America, which has been buzzing about the internet for the past couple of weeks, specifically Captain America Steve Rogers, number one, written by Nick Spencer, and The Amazing Spider-Man, number one, by Dan Slott. Um, the idea of Captain America as a Hydra operative just shakes one to the core if you've been a fan, a lifelong fan. And uh, I was just wondering what the timeline was from the story being pitched to actually hitting the comic book store shelves. Um, that's an excellent question. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know the specifics, you know, the, the full timeline and a lot of this blurs to me because, you know, so being here at Marvel in my capacity, um, I oversee social media and, and handle a lot of what we do digitally and content wise and do some weird stuff. But I go to what we have, these creative retreats for Marvel, um, where we bring in, uh, a lot of our writers who are writing, you know, ongoing series and key characters and, and really important books. And then um, they bring in all the editors for the uh, for the titles across the company, you know, within publishing. And they bring in a bunch of other people like myself who need this information to figure out what they do and, and help, you know, in whatever capacity we need it. So we do these every, you know, four to six months, whatever it is. And so these kind of blur together about, you know, how long these conversations happen, because sometimes these, you know, some of these things will be brought up as like an idea and you'll hear it on like day two or day three. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. You know, 
they're going to keep developing it. So I remember hearing about this, you know, quite a while ago. Um, it's definitely, it's got to be at least a year, if not more, remember, you know, hearing about this story. And that's not to even say how long Nick Spencer, the writer, and uh, Tom Brevoort, and the editor in his office. And, you know, they were, I believe they've even been thinking about the ways this plays off of previous stories that Cap has been in um, in the last couple of years. So it's definitely something that is not a fly-by-night operation. They've like, they, they think about this stuff pretty hardcore. It's great. How does a company of your size with so many people and moving parts keep a secret like this? I mean, do you, you have like some sort of blood oath? I mean, how, how does that work? <laughs> we really like our jobs, I think, is, is, is at the <laughs> core of it. Um, you know, so, all right, I'll give a, a story. When I was um, my first week at Wizard Magazine, way back when, uh, we were having a story meeting, figuring out what we were going to do in, you know, some couple of the sections of the magazine. And I'm sitting there, fresh face, just, you know, taking it all in. Um, and uh, to, to set the room, we had this really cool area where we had all the Alex Ross classic Justice League portraits, like in really nice um, paintings hanging up there. There was like pinball tables and like robots and all kinds of cool stuff. So we're sitting there in this great big room and uh, chit-chatting and someone spoils the ending oh, yeah. of uh, Batman Hush, which at that time was still several months away from ending. That's Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, really great comic book story. Um, and so I, I was just a reader and I was like, you know, enjoying it, reading it every time an issue came out. And they spoiled something that was five, six months away. Um, and I was just like, what the hell, man? What's going on? I, I, that's a spoiler. And so the editor, one of the editors looked at me, stuck his finger out, pointed in my face and said, hey, deal with it. You're going to have – and he cursed a lot more than I will hear. Right. He said, you're going to have to deal with everything you ever like getting spoiled for you forever. And so that was a really important lesson for me because uh, there's no there's no major surprises. Everything becomes a spoiler. And that also told me that you need to know these things that are secret that no one else knows because it's important for you to do your job, for you to help your company um, produce the content that they're producing, whether it's a magazine that is – getting people excited about this stuff or a website or social media or the actual comics themselves, each part, you know, like each person has the role to play where they need this information. And when you need that information, you have to, you have to, you know, really understand that it's, it's a secret. It's, it's valuable. It is valuable information. And, no one needs to know about this because it's important. You you don't want to spoil this for people. That's the thing that drives me nuts. It's like, why would people put spoilers out there? You know, like uh, if you get this information, you know, you're all you're doing is hurting other people's enjoyment of this surprise. So, uh, yeah, it's kudos to us for keeping it something that big, that secret for so long. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in awe, as are millions of other fans. Yeah, let's talk Spider-Man a little bit. Um, yep. Writer Dan Slott came up with a version of Peter Parker that, in my opinion, 
very Tony Stark inspired in some ways. He's the captain of industry and technology, albeit with less money and influence than Tony Stark. Um, and he's no longer just our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man in New York City. He's, he's gone global. In fact, you know, he's outsourced his duties, for example, to, as Spider-Man in New York City. I mean, why the change and what's at stake for Peter Parker and Spider-Man in this new storyline? Sure. I mean, if you, th- if you think about it, so Spider-Man, even back, backtracking before that, like characters need to f- go in different directions. They need to evolve like the, the classic Parker luck of him down on his, you know, down, not being able to make rent and, and having to, you know, support this thing and do that. And, and it always being a bum rap for, for Peter Parker is a great story. But it's also something that's been done a lot. And I think one something that is going to be um, spoken of with such reverence in, in years and years and years is Dan Slott's overall run on Spider-Man. It's, it's like an insane number of issues even now, and he's still going like full speed ahead. So he – you know, he's looking at what can you do to Peter Parker, to Spider-Man that changes it up but still feels right for the character that still gives him, you know, like that anxiety that, you know, like makes him constantly think about the power and the responsibility and all those things. So he had this, you know, this great idea, like, okay, so Spidey's going to, Peter's going to, he's always been a genius, right? He's always been this really smart dude who just couldn't get his crap together. So he kind of got his crap together. And with the help of some really smart people, great supporting cast, built up uh, a, a really great company. And I mean, it, it, like, it makes sense. He's, he's using what he can to forward the business, to forward humanity. So I think it's really, it's just been this really smart story. So that all said, you know things can't always be perfect for these characters. So like I think that's that's what also makes the story so good is the the tension that this is a house of cards that could come crumbling down at any point because Spider-Man has millions of enemies. He has so many, you know, there's so many possible ways that this can fall apart from like even a corporate financial way like in, there's been a couple issues where you know he had some fractures with people on his staff and some partners and like that stuff seems like it could be really you know troubling he's got you know um, uh, corporate rivals he's got all these things so like it's just finding ways to tell these stories for this this character in new ways and I think Dan has been killing it absolutely and shout out to uh, Giuseppe Camicoli and and all the rest of the team I mean one of the things I always am very cognizant of, and I, I want our comic book fans to think about is these comics are made by teams. You know, Dan is obviously he's like the story, you know, he's telling these overall stories, but he's not doing them alone. He's got great editorial guidance with Nick Lowe and that crew, but also the artists on these books are, you know, we can't get these books done without those artists. So like Giuseppe has been a rock across uh, Spider-Man for years. So he's been so good. So, so good. Let's talk big picture for the comic book industry itself. Uh, we live in a digital era now. We're in the 21st century. It's constantly evolving. Will, will comic books exist in print, for example, 10 years from now? It's such a – I mean it, I would imagine so. But it's like – that's one of those questions that's so so crazy hard to even think about trying to answer. Um, 
I, I would imagine so. People love the the tactile feeling. You know, it depends on how they're done. Maybe it could be, you know, maybe it could be changed up uh, one way or another. Maybe more, you know, high profile hardcovers and, and really exclusive, cool, um, different types of things. But people love comics. I mean, like having them, holding them, uh, putting them on bookshelves. You just can't like. I have thousands of collections at home to the point where at this point, you know, I live in New York City. They are in long boxes and they're in storage in a lot of them for to the point where, you know, one day, hopefully I'll have a nice big house with a a library that I can build because I want to be able to put all my comics out there on display. I think it's it's super cool. You can always pull one out, flip through it. Nothing – Nothing changes that. You know, it's interesting because I, I love movies, I love television as well, but like a DVD, a Blu-ray, doesn't have that same feeling that a comic book has. It's not a, you know, a lot of people say, oh well, you know, movies and changing, and you can stream stuff, and you can, you know, buy it digitally, and like you could buy comics digitally. It's not the same. There's, there's something really special about a physical comic. Uh, I agree. I mean, that's in a way similar to the music industry and vinyl records kind of sticking around uh, because the tactile feel, as you said, and just the sound quality may be a little bit different. And there's that sense of ownership. Um, You know, you could put it someplace on a shelf as opposed to digitally in in the cloud or whatever device you're using these days. Um, There's certainly something to be said to that. Yeah. Uh, And and one of the things that I love about uh, a lot of vinyl now is they include a digital version of the record when you buy, not all of them, but some of them include a digital version of the record when you buy the vinyl. And I think it's really important. And we've been doing that for years where we include uh, a digital code in uh, most of our single issue comics and some of our hardcovers and all that stuff, because some people want to read them, you know, in print and then have a version that they can then put on, uh, you know, their tablet or read it on the go. And so I think that is, is something that has been very important, very smart. Speaking of smart, let's talk about bridging generations. I mean, ensuring children's literacy is important for a future, anybody's future, a bright future for the world, in fact. Does Marvel have a literacy program to entice kids to read? Um, I don't know that there's a specifically spelled out program like that but you know we have tons of great oppor- you know great avenues so there's um we work with the folks over at Disney and the the you know there's a Marvel press line of of books of all ages and they have you know whether it's prose or picture books I mean they have stuff that's really young that you can get for for younger kids up and it, it ages up as you go along the different you know different books that they offer on top of that you know you have comics that we do we have comics that are sort of based on the animated shows um for years we did these great um marvel adventures line of comics that were all ages but you know all ages that were really good for you know your hardcore comic book reader but something that you should without a doubt not be hesitant to give it to any kid who wants to read comics and actually there's also there's this it's floating around my office somewhere uh we just either just released or will just release a uh special edition marvel treasury edition of spidey number one um so spidey is this great 
all ages Spider-Man book, which is really terrific. It's uh, written by Robbie Thompson, um, but it's Spider-Man in high school. It's classic old school Spider-Man stories with, you know, a new take, new fresh art. So we did an oversized treasury edition that includes the first one. Um, so you get to see Nick Bradshaw's art in this like big, bold issue. It actually comes with a couple of Spidey issues as well as some of uh, Spider-Man, you know, the Miles Morales Spider-Man. And it's this big oversized book that like if I were a kid, I'd be all over that. So I think it's not necessarily like pointing like here's a literacy initiative um, but here are all like these cool things that we do to to make sure kids have cool comics to read. Cool deal. Let's talk comic cons. Um, they have become decidedly mainstream in pop culture. They weren't always that way, but now they certainly are. And I was just wondering if you think that comic books are still the driving force for comic cons, or have they kind of taken the back seat to all this other media that's involved now? I think it's going to, you know, it's a case by case situation at a convention um, because, you know, I I go to San Diego, I go to New York, I go to C2E2 in Chicago. Um, those are generally the shows that I go to every year and I see tons of comic book vendors and toy vendors and people selling and like with tons of people buying comics. Um, I don't know that necessarily like those vendors are the draw for a lot of those shows but i think it they are helped by fans coming in who are like oh cool i can get my picture taken with you know the ghostbusters car or with you know this wrestler or this actor or whatever and then i can go buy all some some cool comics and various things so i think it's a it's a good bit of synergy but i don't know it's a weird it's a weird situation like i look at the wizard world shows now and they're just like – they seem like they're just like celebrity, celebrity, celebrity. But I, I would imagine there's tons of comic book dealers there as well. So what else is happening at Marvel, Ryan? Tell us something our audience should know about. Yeah. Um, so I, for the last five or so years, I guess, I've been co-hosting This Week in Marvel. It's Marvel's flagship podcast where we do two shows every week. One is an interview podcast and then one is um, just like, here's a breakdown of all the comics that come out this week. Here's some news, and here's some um, stuff we're talking about with fans. We get we pull in emails and tweets and stuff, and just you know, we just talk to fans. And that that is like one of my favorite things to do to do these the podcasts. Super fun. Uh, we just had Brad Meltzer who uh, is a great comic book writer. He has, uh, and he's a great novelist. He just has a new book out. So we had an amazing talk with him, and his Marvel knowledge is deep. Oh, absolutely. Huge, huge fan. And he actually writes you know, a, a series of children's books now, too. So it's yes, fantastic. Yes, yeah, yeah. With, uh, with Chris Eliopoulos, who's a friend and a Marvel creator, uh, which makes us so happy. Um, and like the week before that, we had Paul Shear, who is a comedian. He does a great podcast called How Did This Get Made? And it's just like getting the opportunity to talk with people whose work I like. And then when they're just awesome people as well, that makes me so happy. Uh, so doing the podcast is really good. And we just launched within the last you know, month or so. We launched a new series, a video show called uh, Thwip, the big Marvel show, which is sort of a variety, wacky, weekly thing that we do. It's me uh, co-hosting with Lorraine Sink, who's this amazing uh, gal who 
she used to host the watcher for us we've co-hosted a lot of convention coverage together um and so it's just us being kind of inappropriate and selling saying stupid stuff and and having some fun uh and then we play some games and and shoot some various things so that's just you know we're having fun with that we have a lot of video content like video has been super fun for us to produce and the fans love it and uh like we do things like top 10 videos and you know 101 videos which i think are have been really helpful in getting people like informed on a base level of characters and we've we've done i think over 100 we have more planned that come out every week those are really great so it's really just constantly going forward and pushing out new and fun things on you know marvel social channels youtube and marvel.com sounds awesome well, I wanted to thank you so much for joining me on the Cute Monster Show, Ryan. For be, sure. Be well, sir. You too. Take care.